Hi everyone, it's Janice from the Divorcing Religion Podcast. Did you know that it costs me money to produce each episode of this podcast? I'd really appreciate your help to keep my show on the air and helping other people. Please join me over on Patreon, where you can also find commercial-free episodes, and the links are in the show notes. Thanks so much. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Divorcing Religion Podcast. I'm your host, Janice Selby. I'm a registered professional counselor and a religious recovery consultant. My guest today is joining us from Singapore. Jeremy Lowe began his search for friendship and purpose during his polytechnic days and eventually found himself deeply committed to the Navigators, a Christian campus ministry run by a fundamentalist missionary from Korea. Over the next 10 years, Jeremy immersed himself in the mission of discipleship, convinced it was the highest calling. Gosh, that sounds familiar to me. However, he was confronted with the harsh realities of Christian purity culture, elitism, and a lack of compassion for the unfaithful, those who were not considered disciple material by the leadership. When Jeremy grappled with depression and was ostracized for his inability to maintain his spiritual commitment, he embarked on a journey of deconstructing harmful religious beliefs. Emerging from this experience, Jeremy now has empathy for young people navigating mental health and religious issues and seeks to counsel others in this space. Welcome, Jeremy. Thank you for having me. It's such a treat. I was really pleased when you uh, reached out to me and expressed interest um, in the podcast and potentially being a guest. It's so exciting. I've interviewed folks in Europe before, but I've never interviewed anyone in Singapore. So that's very exciting and beautiful and exotic to me. Please tell me how you're doing today. Well, it's been, uh, it's right now, it's it's exactly midnight. (laughs) Singapore, so we think we have like a fifteen-hour difference from from uh, from uh, Canada. Wow! Yeah, thank you, (laughs) thank you for staying up to midnight so that you could be a guest on the on the podcast. Um, have you lived in other places as well, or did you grow up in Singapore and that's where you are, and that's probably where you'll stay? I grew up in Singapore. I. I'm not sure whether that's where I'll stay. And in fact, uh, just recently, I've been on a, a month-long trip to Europe. So I, I was exploring uh, Spain and Portugal. I have not gone uh, far enough to the US and, and to Canada yet. But actually, fun fact, I think uh, Canada is one of the, the top um, places where Singaporeans kind of uh, migrate to. Oh, very nice. Well, I hope you'll make your way out here and have a visit with us. (laughs) That would just be delightful. I'm a little bit jealous you got to have a whole month uh, in Europe. That sounds really good. And I mean, you have also spent a lot of time uh, in university um, working on the degrees that you were working on there. Pardon me. Have you completed your schooling as far as you know at this point? Yes. So... I'm actually um, 29 and maybe a little late, but I graduated from university uh, about two years back. Wonderful. Yeah, during lockdown, so everybody was all cooped up at home. <laughs> That's right. That's right. And um, and what is your uh, degree in? What did you graduate with? Oh, 
to totally different. I, I actually studied uh, computer science as, as my uh, major. And now I'm taking part-time studies and a master's in counseling. Wonderful. Oh gosh, that's just going to be terrific. I'm I'm curious about your growing up uh, experiences and whether religion played any kind of role in your life with your family. Yeah. Um, yeah. So my, my family was a traditional fam, uh, traditionally Christian family, and I think uh, in, in Singapore it's quite it's, it's quite not a normal experience for. Some families to be traditionally Christian. You, you ha- we have a we have a lot of uh, emphasis on diversity here. So we have this kind of coexistence of Christians, Buddhists, um, Hindus, and, um, and 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 all and all other religions. And basically, for my family, uh, it was just a very casual affair. Actually, I mean. To my parents, the Christian duty was just bringing me to church on Sundays and ensuring that I, I went through the Sunday school, went went through the the service and the worship, and for them that was you know totally fine with that. So at least for me, uh, right out of the gate, I I believed that there was a God, you know, because that was what I I knew. So some people take years and months to to get over that hurdle of like, is there a God? But for me, it was straight away. That there's a God. There's, there's somebody out there. I can't. I can't feel him or reach him, but but he's there, and and that's how I I, I grew up. Mm, wow. And um, do you have siblings? Yeah, I have three siblings, all who are younger than me. So it's it's a mixture. Some of them are are still studying, and some of them are. And, and one sister who's two years younger who's, who's also working as well. Okay, and so your parents uh, uh, are Christian people. They brought you up believing that there is a God out there, even though you're not going to have interactions with Him. He is actually out there, and so that seemed normal um, to you. Did you go to uh, a Christian school or a regular school? I don't know what the education system is like in Singapore. We actually follow the the British education system. So if, if if you're familiar with that. That would be a good a good reference. So, yes. Yeah, so, my my mom. I think my my dad was not particularly religious, but my mom. Uh, I mean, coming from my own religious my own experience, I wouldn't call my mom religious either. She was just performing her Sunday duties, but she she did think that it was very important that I attend I attend a Christian school. So she made sure for my primary school, secondary school, I I, I always went to a Christian school. Wow. Okay. So you were having, uh, it wasn't just at home and at church, but there there was reinforcement also then as you were doing your primary and secondary schooling, also by people who believed that Jesus was the Son of God, He came to earth, was murdered, resurrected. Um, you were hearing the same story everywhere. Yeah, but I think... Um... It was just it was the exposure that I received, the Christian exposure was was really, really minimal uh growing up. So I, I did my my Sunday school, I did my my services, I did my my Christian camps, but I think n- none of these were of a vital influence to me because to me I was totally not not into anything religious yet. And I think 
I was such a part of how should I put it? Growing up, I was such a shy, uh, quiet person. I think uh, by now, by, by now is I can I can I'm totally different. I think by now I can see my my personality come into full play. I think one thing I've always been is a little bit mischievous, and I think when I was a kid, that caused me to act out a lot, to kind of get in trouble a lot, and for that I was. I was really punished hard by my parents. I think I'm. I'm not sure about. I'm not sure about, uh, wait, how kids are brought up. But I think uh, previous generations of Singaporean families they're quite okay to use caning, <laughs> oh. as, yeah, as, as that kind of disciplinary punishment. So you mm. know, it's such a such a natural occurrence for me to do something do something naughty at school. I don't know just trip somebody, throw paper balls at somebody, or maybe I wouldn't do my homework on time. And I'll come back and my parents would just cane me. Wow. And at wow. some point I think um I think at the height of it all, I think I was eight years old. And that year was a year I was so especially mischievous. I don't I, I don't know how to describe to you. I was just a, a little boy, um trying to get some attention and I was always getting into trouble. I, I would I would spend hours being being like scolded by teachers, sitting in the principal's office, and I would be I think I was caned almost almost every day. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And I think I remember one very vivid memory because the, the school uniform was 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 white. <laughs> and I mean they came me to the point where there were there, there were some red lines on my arm and it was showing through the, the sleeves mm. on the shirt. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That is was, so sad. Yeah. And and I, I I was I was still I was I was still mischievous. So I would throw away the canes, I would break the canes and then my dad <laughs> my, and then my dad would buy new ones every day. He would he, he would he would get used to what I was doing and be like, okay fine, I would buy a new I would buy a new cane every day. I'll bring it home. <laughs> wow. And so and they never clued in that it wasn't it wasn't working because what you were after actually was some kind of attention. I think I think on both sides, I didn't know what I wanted, and they didn't know how to respond. I think they, they were, I think they were just responding the only way they knew. Uh, so, as as it was the culture back then, I think now it's totally different. Now, as a collective, I think everybody looks 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 at this kind of uh, punishment as with, with a little bit of disdain. So, I think. Yeah, so that, that year, eight years old, uh, I was probably caned and punished and smacked almost every day. And there was this sudden change in me. So when I was nine years old, I was quiet. I was the quietest, most obedient boy I could be. And I just mm. stayed that way. Yeah, mm -hmm. I, I just stayed that way. Just keep, keep my mouth shut, um, do my studies. And primary school and secondary school passed by without without much event. I, I was just a, I was just someone who had crawled into my shell. Mm. Mm -hmm. And which I'm sure to your parents, they thought, well, finally, he's, he's, he's being obedient. We're not having to spend all the energy um, 
disciplining, but that's there's something so profoundly sad about that, almost a broken spirit type of scenario uh, where they were able to finally beat out the curiosity and the mischievous. I mean, a little eight-year-old boy, I'm going to expect to be full of energy and sometimes uh, up to things that are kind of questionable, but that doesn't seem like the worst thing in the world. Yeah. Hold on. If, I think if you were to talk to a lot of kids, I think that would be a little bit like 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 that for for many many kids growing up. I think especially boys. I I, I think less less for for girls. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there does seem to be an additional uh, energetic factor that can come with um, with little boys as well. Yeah. So then you uh, had this change of. Um, temperament or personality style you really kind of retreated inwardly uh and just became quieter um and so then was it in uh high school or was it in college or university that you began uh meeting with the navigators or came across the navigators yeah so so how it works in our education system is uh after secondary school you can continue on to uh, junior college. I would think this is the equivalent of high school. Or you could continue to the polytechnic, which would be, which would help to get you a diploma, which was definitely not as uh, not as good as a, as a degree, as a certification, but it was more uh, practical because, it, because you could lean towards what you wanted to do, like a diploma in business or a diploma in, in engineering. And for me, I, I just well, I just decided, you know, I I'm not really as a, a books kind of person, and I'm gonna go to polytechnic where it seems to be very different from the standard uh, schooling system. And yeah, so I, I went to the polytechnic, and you can just think of it as a uh, as pre pre university. The, the 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 style and the like it's a campus it's a big campus and the style and system of classes is very similar with like lectures and with classes and and all that kind of thing and, and a little you, bit of yes and how old would you have been then about sixteen or seventeen yes I would have been uh, seventeen seventeen okay so um <clears throat> pardon me kind of a transitional age because you're on the cusp of young adulthood you can almost taste independence you're not quite there yet but you're you're not thinking uh necessarily like the child that you were you've matured some by the time you're 17. yeah and i think it's just going into that space uh, of life on campus i think it gives you the chance to be yourself and i, and I felt it was like a, a new chapter of my life i, I could uh, do things differently and like you said i think i was at a young age i was at a crossroads of my life very open to to new ideas and i think it was in that that state which i encountered the, the navigators because they were always they were always um, going around campus evangelizing wow wow that's so I can remember being um, a Christian 
young adult and reading The Pursuit of Holiness by Jerry Bridges, I think, and what that was a big part of the Nat from Navigators Nav Press, and what a huge impact that book especially had on my life. It's like once I read that, uh, I couldn't be just a lukewarm, just kind of a regular Christian. I had to be super holy, super on fire, very rigid. That's where the rigidity really started to set in for me. So these navigators were on the campus of the Polytechnique. They were um, trying to win souls for Jesus. And you ran into one of them at some point on the campus. Yeah, and I think it was honestly very casual encounter. Like they, they did their their whole um like do you like, do you believe in Jesus kind of thing? And since I, I said yes I do, um they were asking me about whether I was assured of my salvation. And I think I was I was still very um I, I wasn't I wasn't looking for, for God. I, I just was so uh, curious as such a free uh, a free man with nothing to lose that I was like, you know, you know what? Uh, I wouldn't mind joining you guys. I wouldn't mind reading the Bible with you guys. And I think that really started to, that started my experience of of really getting to know this this God and this community. I think uh, one thing that really stood out for me was just um, their lives. I think I just found their lives, their, their initial behaviors to be so attractive to me because I guess all I've seen of Christians was was uh, just your two hours, three hours interaction with them on on, a, on Sunday mornings. And I saw these people who were on campus every day, reading their Bibles, praying, um, walking around, sharing the gospel. And at first, I, I felt so so out of place. I was like, you know. I don't feel any, anything from, from this. You know, what are these people getting out of it? And just the way they, they treated each other, they, they had that sense of closeness. And I think it was such a, you know, just a a value of, of this, of this camp. It was, a, it was a, such a campus ministry kind of value where you have such a small, tight-knit group and you have this kind of, uh, this sense of uh, brotherhood. <laughs> and camaraderie i literally will call each other uh, brothers and sisters in, in christ and and you will spend so much time together so initially i approached it like a like an outsider you know they just invited me for to join their their discussions and their studies and they had established themselves as a as one of the ex- extracurricular uh, activity groups on mm-hmm. on the campus so it was a religious uh, club and mm-hmm. they were holding their, their weekly discussions and then you know get to find out that actually they are they were pretty much meeting up every day mm-hmm. they were pretty much meeting up every day and they would start as early as uh, 8 a.m in the morning they would be on campus um doing their morning devotion they call it the quiet time Right. And you mentioned that the person that you had initially encountered was actually a missionary from Korea. Um, were the majority of uh, folks in that group uh, 
on the campus, were they also mostly from Korea or were they from all over or? Okay, yeah, I, I want to clarify that I, I didn't encounter a missionary from Korea, but what I want to say is that uh, this uh, Navigators uh, group that I was with, it was started by a missionary from Korea. Uh -huh. I think Navigators is really big on, uh, you know, they say, uh, what, do, what do you call it, spiritual generations. So they are very big on this idea of you got to reproduce, so you got to mentor somebody and he's going to mentor somebody else. It's like a, so uh, the idea of just um, small scale kind of, kind of uh, missions. So there, there was this uh, Korean missionary that, that brought the, the style of ministry that they did from Korea all the way to Singapore and started the ministry here. And it really ran differently from other navigators, uh, campus ministries, which is why in fact, Sometimes there's this sense of superiority because our our, our lifestyles ours was were completely different. We were definitely a lot more extreme to, to put mm -hmm. it. But, yeah. Mm, okay. Thanks for clarifying that. Um, and I can understand the draw towards a group that seems um not only to be quite tight-knit and close with each other, but also it seems there's something different about them. So you're used to just the two or three hour Sunday Christians, and these were people who really appeared to be living out what they believed. They were walking the talk, so to speak. There, um, there was something different about them. And really what it's just sounds to me very cult-like and you know meeting together every day starting at eight to do prayer or whatever it was encouraging each other in the word i got my air quotes going um before the the classes um and when i was in that space it just made total sense to me of course we would do that and of course i'd be always trying to witness to my professors even and my fellow classmates because what kind of a christian would i be if i wasn't doing those things yeah and, and looking back i could see how i i i really conformed to the group i think i was really love bombed in the beginning i mean mm -hmm. they were such nice people they were they they were genuine they were they were trying to live out what the bible said and so that when the bible said you know let's meet every day they said we're going to meet every day encourage one another they, they seem so sincere and i think i begin to conform you know at first, it was a bit a matter of discipline, you know, like waking up every day, reading your Bible, memorizing your verses. It was all a, a discipline. I had to push, push myself to do it. But I think along the way, there was a switch that that just flipped in my head. That I was like, oh, wow, I, this is enjoyable. I have this. Suddenly, I get this voice in my head, which which I which I interpreted it as, you know, the the spirit of God. Suddenly, I, I, when I read the Bible, words would pop out. And, and you get all these thoughts going on. And so suddenly the Bible became this magical book. And these people seem to be the people who who knew how who, who knew how to explain the, the Bible to me. So I think I was really, uh, it, it was a, a mixture of the conforming to the, the community as well as, you know, myself, uh, just, just cycling myself in, into into becoming a religious, uh, pious uh, person. And I think it, 
I think I think someone someone actually told me, looking back on this experience when I was processing it with somebody, he was telling me it's a certain kind of person to to be drawn toward these groups. Some people will look at this and say, you know, this is extreme. I, I don't want it. But for me, when I looked at it, it was these people are extreme and it's so interesting. <laughs> and then that really got me drawn into what they were doing. And this this idea of of this mission, you know, you, you were supposed to win souls for Christ. You were doing like a we saw ourselves as the as the the quality as doing high quality work. Whereas you we always look down on, on churches for reaching out to the masses like like and, and they were like doing like low quality stuff and like they were trying to reach out to many and not re- not establishing anybody but we were the ones who were trying to hit each individual and cultivate each individual so there's this so that, was, that really showed in our action so there was a lot of uh street evangelism there was a lot of like one-to-one mentoring you, you would hear a lot of the lingo within the community of like this is my leader. This is my follower. Mm. And we're all growing in the faith in, in this way. Yes, a couple of things come to mind. Um, one is that um, religion is uh, continues to be a very accepted addiction in a lot of societies. And that is, uh, I know some people take issue even with using that word, but I do see it as functioning quite similar to a process um, addiction like like gambling, but but even more so because there's such a community. And you use the word pious. Yes, people, religious leaders are considered uh, enlightened, elevated. Uh, they're the ones people turn to in time of um, crisis. It actually drives me a little bit crazy, but uh, that's so, so the, the parts of our brain light up that are getting these hits when we read the Bible, when we go to church, when we're talking with people who are speaking the same Christian, Christianese, the same language that we speak. Um, uh, and I think that does deserve to be looked at in some ways uh, as an addiction. What do you think about that? Yeah. I really, I really like the idea. I never thought of it as an addiction. Actually, this is an interesting analogy to call it an addiction, and, and you don't even know that you have you have fallen into it. I, I could see my just looking back at myself now. I can see how I was so uh, utterly transformed to that to that way of life. It was it was just normal for me to to always be on campus. It was always be on campus, and you, you know you know when it. You know that they have succeeded in in winning you over when you know you start to function like that on your own. Yes. So once they got me going, it's like once you needed the discipline in the beginning to push you, you needed someone to tell you, hey, come down, come down for Bible study, come down for all of this. But once you get going on your own and you're you're off, you're memorizing all your verses, you're the one walking around campus at night praying, praying mm. for all the the, the, the departments you're the one uh going around every every free hour you get I, I was going around trying to share the gospel to students i made it a point i remember to to reach one reach one soul every day so every day on campus irregardless of whatever i was, I was doing I, I would make sure I, I would walk around and, and try to talk to somebody and, and try to share the gospel to them and yes you were right now talking about 
uh, reaching out to professors. I, I didn't do that, but you know, I made sure that you know, in every, in every conversation, I, I had in my mind that kind of the gears rolling, like like how could I uh, share the good news to them? And you know, yeah. I, I think I was really sincere. I think to me, I really thought that this was the best. You know, the idea yes. that you know, like like Jesus changed my life. He gave me new joy, new meaning, new purpose, and now I'm I'm, I'm doing it to other to other people as well. I want to introduce them to this. So to me, this was like the this is the best thing I can do. Right. Yes, and this is also in some ways. Uh similar to what I'd been talking about uh, functioning as an addiction. Like we meet whenever people have had, they feel they've had a transformative experience uh, and anything that was life-changing, they suddenly feel compelled to try and draw others uh, into it and tell, you know, people, you have to do this. It changed my life. It'll change your life too. And it's hard when when you're face-to-face with someone who is, you know, glowing their face. They're so excited and so happy. And it seems like, wow, maybe they really do have the goods. Maybe this is the thing. And all of us are vulnerable at some point. So you had a friend who said, or you know someone who said, no, that's extreme. But but if we are vulnerable to it because of our previous wounds or whatever else is going on in our life, uh, it doesn't seem extreme or it just seems extreme enough. It seems like we want to be that. We want what they have. We want to be accepted into the community. We crave certainty and security and order and acceptance. And and religion just ties that up with a bright, shiny red bow. All those things are offered in the one place. Yeah, I, I just imagine to a young a young Jeremy who, who was looking for for friendship and acceptance and, and a place to, to be suddenly being offered all of these things in such a nice warm bundle. It, it, it really it just it just won me over quick pretty quickly. Yeah. Did your folks, did your parents or siblings or anyone who knew you before, were they alarmed? Did they notice what was happening? I mean in the first, initially, they were so happy. They were saying like, you know, hey, you know, like, and I had relatives coming up to me to tell me, you know, you know, when we saw you as a kid, how how naughty you were. We we, we thought you're gonna be, you're gonna be a whole lot of trouble growing up. But hey, look, now you've you've gone and found the Lord, come so religious. So on my on my mother's side, it is um all Christian. Okay, so they thought they were encouraging you. Yeah, they were encouraging me in the beginning until I think until it got to the point where they realized, you know, hey, I'm actually going down every day. You know, I I I was telling them, you know, I gotta be there in the morning. I I even I gave, I gave them even my weekends. You know, like uh, Saturday morning we had our morning prayers. We we had to reach, we had to get there to start our prayer at seven seven o'clock in the morning <laughs> wow yeah reach there to pray to, to, to do their sports activities and to do all of the fellowship stuff so even on saturdays we were on campus and then on sundays we we had our our own kind of uh, sunday service and sunday gathering bible studies Wow. And was there uh was there a leader? Was there a person on the campus who was in charge of the navigators ministry there? 
yeah, yeah. So that that Korean that, that Korean uh missionary, he did not uh come regularly to this campus to labor, but he actually was also working in other campuses and he had raised up his disciples and then they were now the ministry leaders of this the campus I was in and other campuses. And it was just there's this um hierarchy of uh leaders and disciples. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so, like a pyramid shape. Yeah, like a pyramid. So mm-hmm. it was really like a, that, that was how we were we were propagating kind of. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and, and it just reminds me of a cult. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so all of us were so all of us were accountable to one to usually to one uh, personal leader. So we would we would still operate in cell groups with, with maybe somebody put in charge of it, but all of us had our own personal mentor that we met up with on a regular basis. Would do all of the the like all of the teaching of of like personal of some of the navigators materials not all of it but some some key stuff and also i guess we came to just like a like a personal kind of mentoring slash counseling yeah you know that, that is the kind of that, that personal mentor is someone that you would really uh bear your heart to and, and pour out your your grievances and and so was confession encouraged um yeah i, I think it, it, it was encouraged I, I don't think it was i don't think it was uh it was coerced out of me but there was this level of trust that i built with my mentor where i could i could tell them anything okay yeah so we might um uh consider them i'm thinking of churches i've attended uh in canada um an accountability partner does that sound familiar yeah at least you know i i guess in a in a such a young young uh kind of community where everybody a lot like two-thirds of the people were, were students I think it's a bit a little bit different from at least the accountability uh leaders that I see in churches in Singapore where they would be kind of like bugging you to come down and join their meetings or or bugging you to to uh tithe <laughs> that, that 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 kind of that kind of idea. So you since you're young, uh you, you don't have money to give. <laughs> so it's really more of checking up on on, on your on your personal commitment to the Lord and and to the ministry, so right. they always be checking you like your, your little checklist. You know, have you done your quiet time? Have you shared your gospels? Have you memorized your verses? And it really felt like a the environment. I think the the intensity that everyone was moving, you know, that pace of everyone was moving, really made it feel like you were you were an athlete. You were you were you were training. You were constantly training. Yes. Yeah. It was. Yeah. The pursuit. The pursuit of uh, of holiness. That book just keeps coming back to me. Um, and you made such an interesting point a few minutes ago about the idea of uh, eventually it wasn't them telling you you have to do this, this, and this. Eventually, you internalized it. And so that you were doing those things uh, on your own. And I think that is very much how it goes. 
um, in in high demand uh, groups, and that's even so. They they tell us we have to be careful not to offend God. And then eventually we we internalize that ourselves, and so it's like God is always watching us and just waiting for a, for us to do something wrong. It's very becomes very invasive, and we just keep doing it, perpetuating that uh, unhealthy cycle on our own. Yeah, something you reminded me was was this uh, this uh, this culture of or this these methods that we we thought of, you know, just your personal meditation and, and application. So, I mean, it, I, I guess if you looked at it from a objective point of view, it's, it's a, it's, it's a important skill to learn in, in a sense. Like, uh, I definitely can say that the navigators was, was very, made me very mindful of this idea of you always need to reflect, you always need to think of what I need to change, what I need to apply. But it was all in the. But was, in this case, it was all in the the scope of spirituality. Mm-hmm. So every, everything we did, it was all about you know, like what did you learn? What can you do better? And and I think it, it was just something that was really baked in, into us. Like everything we we read, we we studied, had to had to continually build up on our lives. And I think sometimes, um, you know, within within the group, we have extra extra devoted uh, individuals and they would really be pushing each other like you know hey i'm gonna pray for all the countries in the world this week <laughs> or yeah or i'm gonna give more i'm gonna give more sacrificially to the ministry and i think and, and all of these kind of applications of the word of god are, is will, will be really be so you'll just be, be pushing we'll just be encouraging and pushing each other on rewarding the intensity even as it goes beyond what's what may be uh, healthy, you know, if it's, well, I need to get up, I should actually be getting up at three in the morning so that I can start my prayers because I have to pray for everyone in the world. Um, and and I mean, I, I spoke with someone uh, a little while ago who they felt that it would, it would have been a sin for them to spend money on luxuries like soap and shampoo so they didn't even do and that is just so extreme and so intense and yet that is rewarded in that uh in that system you're you're applauded for uh, your commitment to christ yeah. and sharing the gospel yeah commitment was certainly the 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 currency at, at least in, in such a such a young ministry i guess full of students when yeah so everybody was constantly uh praising the things you did, like these these extra extraordinary steps you took to be devoted to God, or just how you have been extra, uh, you, you've been able to win extra souls for Christ. You've been able to bring uh, more people in, and I think what you mentioned about uh, what you mentioned about like living living simply, like not not even buying like basic soap and sh- and shampoo. It really reminded me of how, you know, as as a student, I, I was challenged to to give to even give uh, to tithe uh, sacrificially, and I, I I certainly wasn't pressured to do so. I think I've had peer I, I I know I know uh, people from the ministry who were who are pressured to to doing so, but I kind of uh, put it on myself, you know, to try to to give as much as I could. And I remember this. Um, Oh no, I, I've forgotten. I've forgotten all my, my Bible verses. 
<laughs> yeah. But they were saying like, you know, with the measure you use, it will be me- measured back back to you, something right. like that. And then I was like, oh, this means I'm going to try and give as much as I can. I'm going to try and give. And I tried to give as much as even half of, of my student allowance at, at, that, at that one point of time to to, to the ministry. And for, for, for me as a student, I, I, I didn't have much. <laughs> It, it really caused me to be very, very frugal, really frugal in my expenses. I think mm-hmm. for my time in the Navigators, I picked up the habit of of calculating my expenses because there were days when, when I had to do uh, three meals for less than $10. Wow. Wow. And And so were you thinking that you might become uh, a missionary? I mean, essentially, they're grooming people to be missionaries wherever they are, to be always spreading the gospel. Is that something that you were considering to go into as missions work? And then at what point did you start to step back and think, oh, this isn't right? Yeah, so I think the the goal was always there to to be a a missionary of some sort. So, because even in the ministry, we have so many, we have so many examples of or people who, you know, uh, they had already graduated from the polytechnic, they had already finished school, but they were coming back. They were taking up jobs uh, nearby. They were doing whatever they could, basically, to be nearby, be available for the Lord, to give all of their, their time and resources to advancing His kingdom. So they, they had made so much sacrifices to their career. And at the time, to me, that was that was... That was exemplary. I was I was so wowed by what they were doing. I was like, wow, I'm gonna be like that too. So, I I did that. I I took up so many like uh, summer jobs, uh, nearby campus over the holidays, keeping myself even in holidays, in our three month long summer breaks, we would we would be there almost every, every day. And yeah, I think you were right in saying that there was this sense of training to be a missionary. I think uh, one thing I, I, I didn't mention was, I think, the, I don't know how to put it in words of how, how, how extreme and how committed uh, this, this model of, of discipleship was, was that, that, that they had passed, transmitted from, from Korea because we were really doing whatever they did. And in Korea, they had these, uh, training apartments where you would you would train to be a missionary so so we tried to duplicate that in in singapore where they would rent out an apartment and a a bunch of guys you know like some students some working they would live together and basically our whole schedule would be would be all in the name of uh training for missions we'll wake up early we wake up every day we'll wake up at 5 a.m to do out to do household chores, to cook, to clean, to to read the Bible and do things together. And so wow. there was so so I did I spent a few months in, in that in that environment as well. And it really fosters that sense of yeah, if if being if seeing someone every day uh, wasn't uh, influencing enough, living with them every day takes it to the next the next level. Right, right. And then there's you're kind of in this echo chamber. There's nobody saying to you, I you're taking this too far. 
you're becoming very intense, very extreme. The division, and this is what we do see happen with religion, it really becomes very divisive. But you're either for us or against us. It's us versus them. And that can become really problematic, um, <clears throat> pardon me, in family relationships. Yeah. I, yeah, my family definitely um, were, con- were concerned for where, where I was going. And and it and it's, it's, it builds on itself, you know. The, the more the more um, friction you receive from from family or people around you, the more you would internalize that and say that you know this is from God. This is this is this is what you're supposed to go through. This is natural. You're on the right path. You're going to be persecuted. Path, yeah. yeah if the path is painful, it's it's right. yes oh my gosh boy oh boy it sounds so familiar so what happened then to get you to step back and uh reconsider yeah so um so while i I was in the navigators i actually i I dealt with i dealt with this um this personal issue of pornography addiction i think it was something that was was brewing as a kid, I think it was it was something I stumbled onto by accident, but something that that really um, took hold in, in my life. And I think it all it, it all comes out of that that same kind of uh, seeking attention, seeking connection. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that sense, and, and I guess that was a form of approval, and and I never knew that I that I would really end up like like being so being so uh addicted to pornography and i think that was something that really built up it's a it's a bad habit that built up in my polytechnic years and together with this uh with, with, with being in this uh ministry that was so fundamentalist that, that was so um strict you know it made me so strict on on myself you know when the bible says you know you gotta be pure in your thoughts and and I and I had more than than, than filled in my thoughts. I had gone and acted on my my sexually immoral desires. I, I was mm. I was filled with with condemnation for, mm. for it for what I had done. And, mm. and, I, and I didn't mention earlier. I think the navigators. I think the way the way that our ministry was run was particularly um, sensitive to pur- to purity culture. I think they were very. They were very distinct about uh, you know limit limiting interactions between the guys and the girls. Yeah. They were they, they were always doing things on our own. Yeah, we were always being siloed into into focusing on the kingdom of God and all of these things were seen as really bad uh, since the idea of of like interacting with the opposite sex or pursuing youth like like relationships in your youth. I think it was something something so so normal for for a lot of yes. youth. But back then, when I was focused on my mission, I think it was something that was really um, pushed onto me and to everybody to be as pure as possible by abstaining from all manner of of you know relationship and interaction. Wow, and that's so unnatural. That just goes against all of our biology. And my my friend and colleague, Mike Phillips, um, who I interviewed 
a number of months ago. And he especially uh, works with uh, individuals and couples around sex. Um, and he said, um, repression leads to obsession. And I think that is very true when it comes to issues uh, related to sex. And then when you have um, parts of society and then especially religious uh, groups saying, boy, that's the worst thing ever that you could ever do. You're so impure. You really need Jesus to to save you and get you out of that mess. Yeah, and they had all these Bible verses that they mm-hmm. kind of teach you that, that the flesh is, is sinful and evil. So yeah, yeah you know, as I remember filling up journals and journals full of of reflections of that were just self-loading, you know? Like, mm-hmm. you know, why am I so uh, dirty, so sinful, and so depraved? You know, how am I still able to serve God? And I think because of how the ministry was, was so... Um, not only commitment-driven, but also um, result-driven in that, you know, hey, you, you, people were, some people were able to reach out to reach out, evangelize to people and win them over. So I think for me, at the, at the time I was getting addicted to pornography, you know, I was experiencing lack of success in, in my efforts to evangelize to the lost. You know, like I was reaching out to people but nobody wanted to to be discipled, and I and I, and I interpreted that uh, personally. You know, I, I took mm-hmm. it upon myself and said that you know I it's because of me, it's my fault. I I was an impure impure vessel that couldn't be used by God, and, and mm-hmm. that and that is why these people don't want to be saved. These people don't want to be discipled by me. I'm the mm-hmm. I'm the problem. Wow. Okay. And so did that start kind of putting a wedge between you and the ministry? I think that that started in a way um that started my experience with depression. And I think depression was what eventually put put a wedge uh, between uh, me and, and the ministry because I think through this experience of of this addiction to pornography, I think it really caused some kind of um, changes in my mind. I think it was, it was the first time I experienced, you know, my thoughts uh, running away from me. You just couldn't turn off certain imagery in your head. And that's when I knew this is bad. <laughs> I've, I've, I've definitely tweaked something in here that has caused me to be so hooked on, on and so stimulated by, by this. And so I, so, and so I, I sought help from from that, for that, and ironically, I, I I actually sought help from from people outside the navigators. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. How should I how, how should I describe it? Uh, in in Singapore, we have um mandatory um military service. So we have so after, so normally around nineteen years old you will go for two years of mandatory military service. And so that was around the time and all of my my these um, symptoms that I was going through really peaked and I found myself just unable to cope. And, you know, as a Christian, I tried all manner of ways to cope. I had taken away all the internet on my phone. I was constantly confessing 
it, it was all like a self self whipping kind of strategies <laughs> to cope with with addiction, but none of it uh, worked. And I think for me, I, I was trying to I, I reached out to the army and I really got 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 a hold of a, a couple of guys like like um like a couple of counselors in the army. And what they what they essentially told me was that you know it's fine, <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> yeah, it's fine, mm-hmm. it's okay. Mm-hmm. You're a man. <laughs> and, and that must have been shocking for you to hear. Yeah. And and, and yeah, and I think it was just the way I was I was brought up, you know, because because they because they there was one guy who was a Christian, a married man, and he was like, you know, it's it, it's it's normal. So when I was listening, as I was listening to him, I I, I remember thinking at one on one side, like, wow, this Christian guy is so so ungodly. <laughs> uh-huh. And then on the other hand, I was thinking like, oh, okay. Uh, so even married guys deal with this. So I, because I think, I think one one thing that that Christianity really does so poorly is, is handle handle this this aspect of sexuality. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think mm-hmm. they they are constantly putting the giving the hammer on on sexual impurity. And I think I constantly gatekeeping it behind um, marriage, yes. so it's always like you know you, you struggle as a single as a single man, but the moment you get married, suddenly you're fine, right? <laughs> and I think the, and, and as a result of that, I I see a lot of people yeah who you know this this idea of uh, learning how to manage your emotions, learning how to have conversations about sexual topics with your partner, all these should be learn and and thought and and all these skills are not passed on at all by Christianity. They just they just all these are just shoved down and the moment you get married you're like, okay, you can do whatever you want. The husband's the head. Mm, yeah. yeah. And so um d- during the two years of mandatory military um service, were you completely away from the navigators at that time? Did that also help kind of uh shake you loose from that conditioning well i i actually was still with the navigators in fact <laughs> as soon as I, I was as i was out on weekends i would go go and uh, participate in all of the ministry activities and i think as i as i said you know once once it catches your mind you run with it so even when i was in the military i was doing everything that i was trained to do I, I was waking up early, way before everyone was getting up. In, in, in the military, we got up before seven. So that meant I was getting up at about five to, to read my Bible. I, I was constantly walking around my Bible. I, I would even attempt to, to secretly evangelize to, to random soldiers in the camp. <laughs> mm. I was just so inbuilt you know it was my my mission and yet and yet i was i was so torn inside i was thinking you know wow i'm such a horrible human being that god doesn't want to use but yet mm-hmm. yet i've i've been exposed to this mission and i think it's the best mission on earth and i think this is the a calling that's worth living for but i'm such a horrible person i I'm, i shouldn't be doing this but but i, I it's my it's my calling it's my command and i, and I gotta do it so there's this Two forces that were opposing within me, and I think that that negative soul 
eventually, you know, I, I was able to accept all of these these issues and curb this addiction. But I think what really remained from that experience was this this dark cloud of of depress depressive thoughts. You know, this sense of like, you know, I'm a hopeless person. I'm a mm -hmm. I'm a broken person. I'm I'm a I'm a flawed, um, dirty mm -hmm. man. Wow. And I think that was my my start the start of so that was the end of pornography addiction and the start of depression where where I, I begin to really accumulate all of these negative perceptions about about myself. Wow. So then then it makes me think that yes, religion places conditions on our self-love and that is so sad where we think we are we are only uh worthy of love um if we are wholeheartedly able to obey and do everything that sc the scripture or the cult or the high demand group tells us that we have to do so you now you've you're um run into depression you're you're filled with uh self loathing and frustration um so what happened then once you got out of the military what finally broke you loose wow i mean I, so uh, when i got out of the military i was heavily in depression and i and i had no idea how or, or what to, to do to, to curb to, to to handle all of these neg negative emotions I was I was unstable. I I was staying up. I would constantly uh I would constantly stay up for two to three days in a row, and I and I would suddenly collapse, tired. And I would sleep for another uh, another like I would sleep for like maybe a whole day, and I'll wake up and I'll do it all over again. Oh, and the wow. only thought in my mind that was reoccurring was I'm I'm broken. I'm I'm flawed. And mm. of course, during during this time, you know. I was I, I can't I can't commit myself to a ministry that demands that you be there uh, every day. So soon enough, they begin to see you know issues with with uh, with me, and and they knew that I was going through something. My leader knew that I was going through something, and they they didn't know how to to, to handle it. They didn't know how to. They just asked me to seek professional help, but even then, they they just kind of like left me. Pretty much to my own devices. I, I would, so I would, I would show up to their meetings, absolutely tired. I would say hi, and I would just straight away collapse, put my head down somewhere, and fall asleep. <laughs> mm. They would look at me like, and, and I think they just didn't know what to expect. And I think in the end, they were, they were just so uh, committed to their mission and what they were doing, and they were like, you know, let's just run, let's just run on. And if Jeremy wants to, she can just. Uh, join us and yeah i think surprisingly so little people really checked in on me and 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 asked me how i was doing i think it was more of me reaching out to some of them for for comfort that that, that some of them responded mm -hmm. and you know in, in the navigators when we are focusing on on discipleship there was always this aspect of of finding uh faithful men they were always trying to narrow down on, on who had the most potential and responsiveness and they were going to nurture him and and train him and and devote all their time to to discipling him so back then when i was very active i i saw a, a really ugly side of things where they would they would really it was it was so unreal to me because 
I think there, there was just one experience I remember where, you know, uh, we, we were just talking about the people that we were, we were mentoring and the way they talked about the, the guys that they were mentoring, like, this guy is full of problems, he has, he has no potential. And the, the kind of tone they use, it really caught me off guard. I think I, I, was, I was already in the Navigators for a few years doing all the activities and I was doing what they were doing. I was mentoring, I was focusing on on potential candidates to disciple. But it was the first time I heard them talk like this about their, their followers behind their backs. And for the first time I was, I, I, re- I literally stopped and, and asked them like, uh, what, what's going on? Like, like shouldn't, shouldn't we be loving them? Like, 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 like what, what, why, why are you guys talking about them like, like they're rubbish? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that really caught me off guard. Like, you know, there's this, this sense of, of mission. And I, and I thought it was a mission of love. And, and somehow, along the way, some of them were so focused that it became, it, it, it became about, ne- about weeding out the weak and, and focusing on, on those who are spiritually, spiritually sh- strong. Mm-hmm. And, and why I share all this is, is now because now that I was going through depression and I was totally out of it, I began to be treated like that. <laughs> yeah, uh-huh. I I began to experience that the treatment, the same treatment I saw when, when they would look at me and they'd be like, you know, leave him be. Mm. Wow. Uh, that hurts and that's so disappointing i'm sure but it was a kind of a wake-up call Uh, yeah i i i wouldn't say that was a wake-up call yet i think it took me so long i think i was just i was just stumbling and stumbling and and falling and falling and and i for 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 many years I, i i just had this constant um seesawing of of emotions and and state you know even through my university years i i i was i would show up i would still do my my classes in my university and, and, and all the navigator activities and all that but behind the scenes i was filled with with self-condemnation mm-hmm. part of me felt like no i I, sh- I shouldn't i shouldn't be here i think a part of me had that reasoning where you know this this life is all about giving it to God for his work. And if I can't do God's work, then there's no point in living. And wow. and if, if there's no point in, in being a Christian, then maybe I should join the world, but I can't join the world. They are they're off the world. <laughs> yeah. Wow. I, I I'm stuck. You know, I'm neither I'm neither a follower of God and I'm neither a follower of the world. I'm, I'm like a, I felt I was like an aberration, you know, I, I just couldn't be either. I couldn't live my, my identity as a, as a follower of Jesus. Wow. And I had all these thoughts in myself and as you can, that just followed me through university. I, I just kept, I will constantly be sleepless. I would, I would stay up, I would stay up all day, um, ruminating, ruminating oh my gosh that's so that is not helping the mental health situation at all when we're not able to even get the rest that our body needs our brain our mind needs to be able to shut down uh and rejuvenate and restore and that wasn't part of what you were able to do at that time right yeah i think i think years of, of 
sleeplessness really took its, its toll. I think at some point, I, I really began to have us a bad case of, of my mind wandering where I could be, where I just sat there and I blinked my eyes and it was suddenly dark. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, I, so all this, to me, uh, really reinforced how my, my head was running away from me. I had no idea how to control these negative thoughts and I had no idea how to control this out of mind experience and I had, and I had no hope of ever recovering and and serving gone again. I think th- there was always this part of me that was so confused about about what I was going through like like why why was I going through this? I think I would constantly um, ask people ask um spiritual mentors they will ask I'll ask him you know like uh, what what should I expect you know like what 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 is the hope here is the hope mm-hmm. for me to, to recover is the hope for me to 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 take this as a affliction from God and I'm supposed to resist it all the way until I die mm-hmm. and and it was just such a hopeless thing for me a part of me really begin to look forward to to dying because mm-hmm. that would be when you are released of all of your your your, your mental and bodily afflictions and you you will be free so the hope yeah. of God what actually drove me to to really want to to die actually mm, wow and um do you think your family was aware that you were struggling at this time i think for a good initial for a good initial few years that i was struggling i i, I really struggled um alone mm-hmm. i think only only a few people in, in the ministry knew what i was going through mm-hmm. I, I felt so ashamed i i, I just thought um here I am with the with the best God in the world, the best uh I, I have access to the best God in the world and I, and I turned out like this, you know. <laughs> Not only was I addicted to pornography, an like, impure person, I was also broken. Like somehow I had just broken my mind and become this miserable wreck. So a part of me was so ashamed to to talk to them. And I I would say that. When, when I when I told my parents, uh, uh, when I began to share to my parents about what I was going through, I think they were not really very mental health forward. I think my my initial attempts to share my feelings with them were really met with with um, just putting it off. They were they were just kind of like, why why are you why are you like this? You should you should just think differently. You should oh. just yeah just just stop thinking like this. And I think that was a lot of I think. A lot of bad advice I received usually went along uh, these lines, which is like, like, you know, just stop being yourself. <laughs> just go to set, stop being yourself, turn it off. And I think, and I think all of this contributed to, to building up the image of of myself as the enemy. You know, not only as as a spiritual enemy, like I hated myself for not being holy enough, but even in the sense of you know. Wow, I'm such a horrible human being. I I can't even uh, handle my own thoughts uh, properly. Wow. Mm. So a, a lot of this I, I built up against against myself, and it was and so it, it was it was like this, and it was getting worse and worse. And, and once in a while, I, I would get really strong um, suicidal ideations, and, and and this would cause me to really co- to really think about. To really deliberate on, on taking my own life, 
Mm. And, and, and I can't tell, I find myself at the ledge of a very high, high, high place, uh, looking down and, and, and praying to God for, for help. Mm-hmm. And, and somehow, I would always hear some some form of, of answer and, and comfort, or I would call somebody in the in the navigators or somebody that somebody I was close to for help, and then they would they would they would just talk to me and comfort me. Sometimes they wouldn't even know that I was I was there. I was at the at, I was at the high place. They would just comfort me, and I would be like, okay, okay, and then I would calm down. But it was, it was always a cycle. I would I would constantly deteriorate. Uh, ask God for help and survive another round of of self uh, loading. Wow! And this went on for years. Yeah, it went on for about six years. Oh my gosh! So then, what what finally happened? Yeah, I think I I, I think finally I found myself at the ledge again, and this time around, I I I stood there, you know. Uh, praying for God, you know, I was telling, I remember telling God, you know, God, I, I, I don't need you to, I, I, I don't need anything from you. I just need you to tell me that you need to tell me anything. I just need to show me that you are there. So long as you tell me you are there, you show me some, just any kind, you can tell me that things will be better. I just wanted to hear and feel your presence. And somehow, um, for so many years, I, I, I had this this um, sense of the Holy Spirit, this sense of hearing from, from God and from the Bible. But that night, there was no more magic. Mm. <laughs> yeah, the magic had run out. I, I, had, I, I, I stood at the ledge and prayed for, for two hours, I think until past, past midnight. And then I realized, you know, there was no answer tonight. And a part of me was thinking, you know, uh, I could call somebody for help. I, I I could I could call my my mentor. I could talk to him. He would encourage me. He would get me off this ledge, and then I would go on my my way and slowly fall apart and break break again. And then mm-hmm. I'll find myself back here a month a month or two later. So I was so tired, you know. I, I was thinking, you know, I know how this is gonna go. So I was I, I really thought to myself at that point. Should I really take that that step? And I nearly did. And I think, in the end, what what I what I what I took from that experience was tonight. No one's gonna save me. The only person that's gonna save me is is myself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I made a promise to myself. You know, I said, you know, I still don't like I still don't like you. I still don't like myself. <laughs> I, I, I still have, I'm still not over this, you know. I still hate you, but I, I'm gonna try to figure out. I'm gonna defer this decision to to to, to jump. I'm gonna try my best to fix myself, to do everything I can to figure out how to get better. Wow. I still don't know what is what what is. I still don't know if I'm gonna get better or not, and I'm just gonna try. And, and but but I still but but I still want to come back here and finish the jump if things don't turn out well. So I gave myself mm-hmm. a little a little deadline in, in the future to say that you know this is this is the date. Yeah, this 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 was the date today. I remembered the date, the day and month, and I said you know I'm gonna visit this place. 
at this date and time and jump if I didn't get myself fixed by this. Wow. Wow. That's in one sense, you were giving yourself some space, but in another sense, you were putting quite a, uh, quite a firm, uh, line there. So, so what did you do? Were you able to get in touch with someone for your mental health? Yeah. I mean, but over the, over the, over the years, while I was dealing with depression, I had been to, to quite a few, uh, psychologists and psychiatrists already. So I had I had already seen quite a few um, specialists, both in Christian and in and, and in non non Christian uh, practitioners, and I think they all played their part to help me in coping with the symptoms of depression. But but I never really knew how to deal with with depression itself. So yeah, I think when I when I got off the ledge and began my my journey. A part of me uh, was was just straight away going back into in, intense amounts of of therapy. At that time, it was Christian therapy, and and I was and I was keeping myself open. I remember um, just starting to read, read, um, read, read. Uh, not not just Christian books, but different kinds of books. Mm-hmm. I I read uh, I read Philip Yancey's uh, Where the Light Fell, which was his memoir about him almost leaving the faith. I read uh, Bertrand Russell's, um, uh, he's a Christian philosopher. I'm not a Christian, sorry, sorry, he's not a Christian philosopher. No. He's actually got he's a thing against religion, actually. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. So I read Bertrand Russell. I listened to, to some podcasts with snippets of philosophy, just trying to find some kind of meaning, mm. meaning in life. Just listen to, the, listen to them write about Viewpoints on the suicide, viewpoints on love, um, and I think it sounds—it sounds like a smooth journey, but actually, I, I think it—it it, it really wasn't. I—I I just remember the, the the first few months after making that, that that promise to myself, I really struggled a lot. I'm not sure what what you would how would you, how would you describe this phenomenon, but. I, I I gained a sense of peace for the first time in 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 years. I I, I gained a sense of peace in my head. Wow! The, the voices, but it was the wrong kind of peace. The wrong oh. kind of peace. The, the voices <laughs> in my head had had receded, but yeah. they had receded because at the back of my mind, I was thinking, you know, it's gonna be over soon. You know, if mm-hmm. I if I do, it, it, it either mm-hmm. is gonna work. If I'm gonna fix myself, or I'm gonna go. And mm-hmm. I think that was really the wrong kind of motivation because mm-hmm. that made me that made me visualize that made me look forward to 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 the end so much right. and it really stifled stifled me in the first few months before I really got a grip of myself and said, "Hey, I really got to work on on find finding out finding out dif- what different things." Okay. Yes, yeah, so I, I I begin to read a lot of uh books and uh, biographies by different people in the faith and out of the faith. And I listen to podcasts on philosophy, sign myself up for fitness classes, begin to to take go go for more counseling, take take counseling, take medication for, for my symptoms. And I think around that time was when I actually uh listened to uh Bart Campolo. Oh uh, yeah Bart Campolo yeah. 
cut and follow. And I I remember um, hearing one one of the one of his uh perspectives on on life. And he was just talking about a humanist point of view of looking at life, at how mm-hmm. uh, you know uh, death gives life gives life meaning. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's it's because of death that that life has meaning. And and it's because of pain that you learn to treasure the the good parts of life. That life is truly a, a, a bargain. Life is full of its ups and downs, but it's a bargain, and it's, it is an adventure. And I remember hearing him him uh, talk. And I remember thinking to myself, oh, like, what's going on? <laughs> like, 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 like here I am, here I am uh, believing in God, but I'm I'm here. Plotting, visualizing a thousand and one ways to end my life, and and here's a guy over here singing praises about this finite and mortal life that he has. You know, mm-hmm. so I actually reached out to him. I actually, I actually wrote him a an, an email just saying, you know, let let's let's talk. <laughs> yeah, you know. Did you hear back from him? Yes, and he and and and, and he became my my uh counselor coach for, for for a few months. Oh my gosh, that's wonderful. <laughs> and I and I think he really has uh played a big part in my my uh my healing. I think mm-hmm. it helped so much that um he really came from a very similar space. I think he was he was he was in, he was doing uh, he was a pastor and doing ministry for so many years, and he had so many uh, relatable ex- experiences mm-hmm. that you know I could bounce things off off of him. And I think, uh, I think what really and that really began my journey to unravel a lot of these negative thoughts that I've been holding on to for for so long. You know, thoughts like you know, um, I'm unworthy of love. Uh, thoughts that you know. Um, No, it's it's too late to change. You know, because mm-hmm. because a part of me had had I had just been depressed through my whole my whole youth and uni life. Oh, I'm so thankful that you found uh, Bart Campolo then to reach out to, and he could relate to the things you're talking about. Yeah, and I think what really helped me was just. Uh, just unraveling, just learning how to journal and unravel some of these negative thoughts. And I think, for me, I I, I really went to, I really went to write down. I just I just wrote I just journal and wrote long pages of of why I thought this way. You know, like like I would be very logical about it. I write, you know, like why do I think that I'm worthless? And I'll write a whole page on it, and I would really try to unravel it and see, you know, is this true? Is, is this is this is this a little bit too far fetched? Yeah, uh, is this the right way to look at it? And I think for the first time, when I really unravel a negative thought, it will never come back. Mm. And, and I think that was really the, the the true peace I experienced in my mind. Wow! Yeah, it sounds like um, cognitive behavioral therapy, and really 
exploring those negative thoughts that come up to see if they are accurate, if they're true, or if we've just been indoctrinated to believe that they're true. Yeah, and I think it really helped that when I when I when I walk through a negative thought to the end, when I truly unraveled something, you you couldn't you couldn't spring it on me again. You know, next time the thought that I was worthless went through my head, I'll be like, you know, I've I've thought through this. I I can't be worthless. You know, people don't people don't think I'm worthless. You know, and and then that whole thing would just vanish. And I think that really gave me that that kind of confidence and that impression was was winnable i think one i think one uh one uh thing i really remember from from my conversations with bart was just helping me to find my own meaning in life because for too long i, I had I had found i had looked at my own life and meaning in a very objective lens in the in the biblical lens and my life only had meaning if i was to, if i was in service to god you know right. it, it only had meaning if i had a good spiritual life and, and 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 i had to learn to not think in black and white i had to learn to to see that you know like meaning is subjective it's found it's created yeah it's created through the connections we have mm-hmm. with different people yes so that's so beautiful and exciting and i have certainly found it also to be true and so you have made such a profound journey and a change a shift in the paradigm the way that you see and interpret uh the world and your life and now you are interested in helping others because of what you went through so you are also um you're are you back in school to become a mental health clinician yeah i'm, I'm picking up um, part-time um, studies for, for counseling i think a part of me uh really uh has a, has a lot of empathy for for what what i what i went what i went through i just felt like you know I didn't need to suffer for six years. <laughs> yeah, it could have been it could have been much shorter. And even talking to 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 uh, friends, even friends who are in, involved in in working with youth, or even some of my friends who are still within the the navigators. You know, when you work with a lot of of young young people i think that there's, it's so important to help help a young person build up the skills to handle all of these emotions and and thoughts this sense of like self-learning and, and, and critical critical thinking and i feel like that people people need to, to be taught these things and i mean the, the kind of mentoring that we did, the spiritual mentoring that we did um, back in the navigators definitely did not have did not have that kind of skill or expertise needed to to deal with a person's life and their issues. And yet, you know, in these settings when you are sharing to your mentor, a lot of times you'll be pouring out a lot of personal and emotional issues. And 
Yeah, nobody. Yeah, you were being helped by somebody who had no no idea of of how to help you handle handle these things. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very true. Yeah, and I definitely um, encourage people whenever possible if they are struggling with uh, issues related to religious trauma or recovery from religious trauma. Um, I encourage them to seek out a secular therapist rather than a religious um, therapist, and not only a secular therapist, but hopefully one that has some familiarity with religious trauma or religious trauma syndrome um, in and some of the things that we have gone through. So I always recommend that people read uh, Dr. Marlene Winnell's book called Leaving the Fold. I think that's a great place for people to start when they're trying to understand their own life, what they've been through, if they grew up in a religious home, fundamentalist environment, and uh, some of the losses that we suffer, because it is a lot of grief and loss, because our identity, your whole identity was was wrapped up in and enmeshed with your ideology there as not only a Christian, but a navigator, you know, being in that intense group. And so, uh, when we lose our sense of identity and we lose our community and we lose our worldview, it just dissolves. That leads to some pretty intense um, struggles and feelings. Wow. Well, I've we've been talking <laughs> for almost an hour and a half. I'm so glad that you reached out and wanted to share your story. I think this will be helpful for other people. Um, are there any resources you'd like to recommend, or is there a way people can get in touch with you? Yeah. I think uh, one one book that I I found really really helpful uh, was uh, the Sacred Depths of Nature. It's called the Sacred Depths of Nature by okay. Ursula Gooden. Okay, I'm just writing it down. I think it, it's a book that um, tries to. It is a book where the author tries to evoke a religious experience in science. <laughs> I, yes. it, yeah, it, it's this idea that you know we can have a sense of of wonder and gratefulness to the world, to the universe, and world that we live in as, as well, yes. and not just. And not just you. You don't need to the religious sensation. Just only in a church uh, setting. Mm-hmm. That's beautiful. Thank you. I'll make sure uh, I'm going to look for that and uh, include a link to that in the show notes. Um, if people want to reach out to you, is there a way that they could contact you, or should they just reach out to me and I'll pass them along to you? Uh, you can reach out to you. I think I can also provide uh, you my my LinkedIn details. Perfect. Excellent. That sounds great. Well, thank you so much. Thank you for staying up so late or so early in the morning to to talk with me and share with um, our audience about the things that you've experienced and gone through. I think you'll be a wonderful counselor, just full of empathy for people. Thank you. I think religious trauma is really it's 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 really a a growing issue. I, 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 
I think it's starting to, to surface. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I agree. Uh, and so I do uh, encourage anyone who's watching or listening right now, if you want to chat with me about some of the things that you've heard about, you can uh, come to my website, divorcing-religion.com. And I certainly hope that you subscribe to the YouTube channel. Um, it's the Conference on Religious Trauma YouTube channel, where I have over a hundred videos now, uh, some interviews with people like Jeremy who are recovering from religious trauma and otherwise with psychologists and social workers who are um, very knowledgeable in the field of religious trauma and recovery. So thanks everyone for joining us today and thank you, Jeremy, and we'll keep in touch. Thank you, Janice. Take care, everyone. You.